Good evening. Hearing the prayer request tonight, I can't help but think of what Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and travels in pain. Together until now, not only they, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, awaiting for the adoption that is the redemption of our body. For we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Many of the prayer requests tonight <coughs> reflect things that I have relatives going through, same thing. Many of them as a result of sin from the enemy of our souls as well. And yet God is not willing that any should perish and the gospel message continues because we're in so much need of Jesus Christ. He's the only answer that we have to our situation today. And many of us are just longing for the day when he's going to come and we're going to meet him and we'll be with him forever. But in the meantime, we have to continue this journey here. And as I was thinking about this message today, I was thinking about what it's like to begin the Christian journey. This might surprise you, but everyone, without exception in this room, are on this Christian journey. <laughs> you may not have come to the point where you've realized that your sins have been forgiven, but the reason you're here tonight is because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you. So many times people may come to an occasion like this and they have no intention coming and they've got other reasons why they come. Maybe they've got friends or some relationships, whatever it might be as an excuse. But at the very base of that is that God at some point in time has got a hold of you. The Holy Spirit has been convicting you of sin. This is the very beginning. When just before Jesus <clears throat> suffered on the cross, he told his disciples that he was going to send them another comforter. Some translations translate that advocate, which is true. He will send another advocate, another attorney at law, to intercede on our behalf. 
And when he said that, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin. The gospel message and Christ himself as the message that hung on Calvary's tree was there public for the world to see but they did not really understand what Jesus was all about and what he had come to do. But his work was complete. The plan of salvation that God had was totally complete. And the Holy Spirit then, he was sending in order to convict the unbeliever of sin. He says, I tell you the truth, is it expedient for you that I go away? For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe. The Holy Spirit is at work in each of our lives. And for some of us, it began when we were even children. If you were brought to a gospel preaching and you heard the message of salvation and that you needed a Savior, you needed to give your heart over to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is continually throughout our lifetime. If we have not made that decision, He continues to convict us of sin. The reason you're here tonight if you've not given your heart to Jesus is the Holy Spirit again is giving you an opportunity to make that decision. It's a serious decision to make. Most important decision you'll ever make in your lifetime because it determines your future destiny. Do you want to play with that? I mean, this community has seen its fair share of sudden deaths from accidents, etc. Something's got to get through to us. But you know, the Holy Spirit does not force us to make that decision. He gives us every opportunity to. And through the preaching of the Word, He convicts the unbeliever of sin. That's the very beginning of the Christian journey. I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface here because any one of these subjects is a message for at least three quarters to an hour. So I'm just going to scratch the surface. I would like to just, for those of you that are not believers, open the door for you to see what's in the next room that you're going to pass through if you make that decision. You may not have heard this kind of a message. You've heard a message to try and convict you of sin, to make a choice to believe in Christ and have your sins forgiven. But you're totally unaware of what's the picture look like when I make that decision. And many of us are prevented from making that decision because, well, my dad or my mom, what will they think? My, my friends, my job, I'm going to have my job or not. I mean, and... I, I mean, for goodness sakes, the Christian life is so boring. Why would I ever want to choose that? All right? And that's our concept of it. 
I'm going to lose everything. I've got to give up everything that I enjoy doing. I can't go with my buddies anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. And it's all a bunch of rules. But let me open the door. As you step through that door and your sins are forgiven, there's a banquet table that's been laid out by God with so many things on it, and they're all for you. And they are free. Jesus paid for all of those things. And if you come in and you see that banquet table and God says, take everything. He wants you to take everything that's on the banquet table. And if you do, his supply continues. It goes on and on for the next person that comes, the next person that comes. The table's always full for everybody that comes can partake of what he's given at that table. I'm going to give you just a very partial list of the things that are on that table that you may not be aware of. But all of these things are not just for time, but for eternity. These are the things that Jesus has paid for so that you might have an abundant Christian life. That's why he came, so that we might have that life and have it more abundantly. As you go through that door, there's a package that says, crucified with Christ. That package says, born again. That package says, this is the Holy Spirit I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you new life, that package. I'm going to declare you to be righteous, no longer a sinner. I'm going to set you free from the dominion of sin that so bothers you and entangles you. I'm going to set you free from the law that's pointing out every single sin and doing nothing to help you overcome it. You're going to be, die, you're going to be buried, and you're going to be risen with Christ. It's another package on that table. It's all yours, just for the taking. You're going to be in Christ. Christ is going to be in you. You're going to be reconciled to God. You're going to have boldness to approach God in prayer and know that He hears you. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf when you sin. And you'll have a peace that passes all understanding. <laughs> all of those things are on the table for our taking. Um, why would you refuse? Anybody have a good reason why you say, no, I don't want that? I'm just opening up the door, a, a crack, to let you see what's on the other side, what the Christian life is like. But you see, the first step that we have to take when we come to salvation is find out that we have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't want your life. He doesn't want my life. It's of no value. He says, you are crucified with Christ and Christ now is going to live in you. That's the first step in the Christian life. 
It's not about me. It's about what Christ has done. All through my Christian journey, it's Christ, Christ, Christ. It's what He has done, how He is seeing me through. It's not because of what I'm doing and I'm overcoming and I'm making enough money to pay my bills. No, it's about Jesus Christ. But I have to get rid of me first. So the first step inside that door is that I'm crucified with Christ. Jesus, when he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he also says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the spirit is the same one that's born, of, uh, uh, born again. And John writes in his epistle, that which is born of God is exactly the same as being born again. And born again is born from above. It's a different life than what we were born with here. It's from above. It's not a reformation of our life that we live here. It's a brand new life. That's what changes the person that comes to salvation. That which, that's what makes a believer different than anyone else around. It's because Jesus has come to live inside of us as well as the Holy Spirit. But here's the situation that we face. I may realize that I need to be crucified with Christ. I know that that's what the Scripture says. I've heard it preached before. And I have it mentally that yes, I need to be crucified with Christ. I believe it. But until I receive that and begin to work that out in my life as if it is true, I don't really have it. That's the same with everything in the Christian life. God gives us so many things that are available to us, but until we believe it and receive it for our, ourselves and begin to live as if it is so, we don't really enjoy it. If God declares us to be righteous and we still think that we're sinners, what was the point of Him giving us righteousness? We're just saying, I don't really believe it. It's too good to be true. Well, it is too good to be true. <laughs> Absolutely too good to be true. Me, who doesn't deserve anything, that God then gives me the righteousness of Christ and He comes to live within my heart. As I said, just skimming the surface here. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand, okay, what is this born-again thing look like? And how can we probably try and illustrate this? And every illustration falls short when it comes to the Scriptures. But I'm going to try and use this as an analogy. I uh, was forced into having to learn computers back in the 80s. That wasn't my forte, but I was forced to. As a result, I got to know a little bit about what a computer is. I wasn't a techie. I was the guy that would get the programs, learn the programs, but as far as the technical stuff, uh, it didn't interest me. I would just get frustrated with it. But what I did know, and I know things have changed a bit now, but in a computer, you've got a hard drive. 
on that hard drive comes with an operating system. When you have that, you can go out and buy yourself applications. That's what it was called in those days. We didn't have apps with all these little icons and stuff back then. An application that would produce a certain thing that you wanted to make. So let's look at the hard drive as our bodies. All right? The operating system is what's inside of us. It's how we function. Every calculation that we do and every application that we use is based on that operating system. When we were born into this world of the seed of Adam, we were born with an operating system that was entitled sin. That was the name of the operating system. So every calculation that is made in every application makes and determines what it's going to do based on the code that was based on sin. And no matter how hard we try, all that we can produce is sinful actions. We can never get out of that hole that we're in. What happens then when we're born again is that the simplest thing to do, and probably still today, if we want to change that operating system, is erase everything that's on it. But everything that you were using is erased with it. You've lost everything. But you erase the whole thing. Let's start over again. So you're going to erase the whole operating system, but you're going to install a new operating system. Every calculation now that you use to produce something is based off the new operating system. And what is the name of the new operating system? Righteousness. God is declared as righteous. If then we use that computer and use that new operating system and whatever it is that we do in our life, the applications that we're using will be based on righteousness. We will automatically do what is right. That's what we're needing. And when that operating system was installed, and righteousness is what we determine, that determines our life now, we no longer fulfill the lusts of the flesh because that belongs to the old operating system. I said last week, I said if you're sin conscious, you're under the old covenant. Well, if you're sin conscious, you're still running on the old operating system. That's all it can produce is sin. But if you're running on the new operating system that God has given us, which is the righteousness of Christ, your life as a believer will just go through the roof. Our problem is that we don't believe it. And we don't live as if it is so. There's so much to this that I... I I have to leave certain things because I can't go into any depth because perhaps at some time, Lord willing, there'll be other messages based on it. So that's the one thing. We have 
an abundant life now that we have a new operating system. The next thing that we find when we've come to salvation is that God gives us the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was at work in your life and my life prior to the decision that we made to come to salvation. But now the Holy Spirit is going to come and reside inside of us. And can you imagine the change and the power that comes about when we have an operating system called righteousness and now the Holy Spirit steps in on the same territory and he directs our lives. And we defer to him. We don't have to make our own decisions. You know, I guess my life has been different than most. I would honestly have to say that I never really had mentors. When I was young, there were some older folks that I really looked up to. And I remember one time, one of them would have been my age at the time, and he died suddenly of a heart attack, and I was totally devastated. The one that I could probably lean on for advice, etc., was taken away from me. But what it did was it forced me to go back and realize that God had taken out the props from underneath me so that I might go back and rely on him. I'm wondering if that has been lost over the years. The reason I'm saying that is because we've had over the last, I don't know how many years, just take a guess, of counselors, an explosion of counselors. And in fact, today I know there's not enough counselors. I know because I know some personally. And they're just so overwhelmed with the needs of people. And yes, from within the church too. If we were to begin to realize that we are righteous and that everything that we do in life and decisions we make in life is based on righteousness, I think we're going to have less counselors. There's going to be less need for it. We're not used to going first of all to God and saying, I've got a problem. This is a crisis. I get on the phone, I've got to phone my best friend. Phone a friend. First choice. Instead of going to God first. And I think if we go to God first, which we ought to do, that's the way that we were designed, is that those that are involved in counseling will find that their business is going to drop off. We need to get accustomed to going to God with our problems and our crisis. Things in the world are likely to get worse if we do not begin now to get firmly grounded in who we are in Christ and have a total assurance of our sins forgiven so that it doesn't matter what anybody says, we won't be shifted from that. We will have a rudder that's going to guide us through these difficult waters. I also believe that God will send along leaders that will help guide. God gives certain ones, as he did in the past, 
with the prophets, he would tell them ahead of time what was going to happen, and the prophets were to deliver that word to the people. I don't think God has changed any. We have received the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit speaks. And so many people I've spoken to throughout the years have said, I haven't heard God talk to me. I mean, you got to screw loose. No, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. If you're not hearing from God, you're not one of the sheep. And you need to go back and assess and find out, were you really saved? Because he does speak. And in every single letter that Jesus had John write to the seven churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3, he ends it with, let him that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When Paul was being sent out, Paul and Barnabas, I think it might have been, they got together and the Holy Spirit and themselves agreed that this is what was to happen. So the Holy Spirit lined up with those that were assembled there to say, yes, I agree, Paul and Barnabas need to be sent. Has that been lost? Are we hearing from God? It's not spooky. But you have to start somewhere. If you've got a simple question, ask Him. You may not get an immediate answer. Quite likely you won't. But let me give you one tip of what I've experienced throughout my lifetime. When God speaks, He speaks it's like three or four words. But it conveys this in those few words. And you know that God has spoken. I've experienced that many, many times. And then I had no question. That was God speaking to me. How can He do that? Because the Holy Spirit's in me. Jesus is in me. The Father's in me. This makes the Christian life worthwhile. He's given us everything for life and godliness. Everything. We lack nothing. But we live as if we're paupers. If we're faced with a crisis this week, I would urge you to think about this. To first of all, before you make that phone call, talk to God about it. I'm as guilty as any to want to have flesh and blood somebody that I can touch you know, and somebody that I know that can give me some advice. But first of all, we need to go to the Holy Spirit. Now, just in closing, that section that I read where the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, the next verse says, Jesus said to them, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you... Cannot bear them now. Who's he talking to? All of a sudden, we've got a difference in personal pronouns. The Holy Spirit's going to convict the world. But I have many things I need to share with you, my disciples, believers. But however, when, the, when the, he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, 
he will speak and he will tell you things to come. That's part of what the Holy Spirit's duty is for us to tell us of things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you and all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit being as great as he is, does not make decisions on his own what to say and what not to say. Whatever he hears from the Father is what he communicates to us. We've got a, a perfect line here of hearing directly from God through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Why don't we tap into that? That's what he's here for the believer for. I'm going to leave you with this question. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to leave it with you. I asked somebody this week this question, and hopefully as the Lord allows, we'll talk about this someday. But it's obvious from John 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever of sin. What about the believer? You ever thought of it? Does the Holy Spirit convict the believer of sin? I'm not going to give you an answer. I'd like you to think about it. Someday, maybe it'll be explained. But it's a question we need to ask because it makes a difference to our Christian life. And some of us I didn't realize till recently. In fact, on that, let me just give you a short, brief story here. I have a sister that's sick. She's been sick since she was a teenager. She's in her early 60s now. She was on a morphine pump for 30 years. She has an ileostomy. She's in pain most of the month. She very seldom gets out. But her and I have a spiritual connection together and are able to discuss many scriptures, prophecy in, included. And over the past two years since my wife passed, I haven't stopped studying on my own. And I, I had done for a number of years. But there were certain things that the Holy Spirit was revealing to me that I had never seen before. And I, talk, I talked to my sister. I said, Nancy, you've read that scripture before, surely. I said, did you ever notice this before? She says, well, tell me. I would explain to her what I, was revealed to me. She says, no, I never saw that before. And this would happen week after week after week. And I'd say to her, there's something that puzzles me. I'm sitting all alone in my apartment. And God is showing me these things. Is this just for me? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Just so that I might enjoy the things of God and learn the scriptures and learn more about the Lord. Little did I know. <laughs> no, it wasn't just for me. God dropped me like a parachute into here so there's a lot of things that I'd like to share with you 
And some of these things, I think you'll be very surprised at, but I think what it'll do is it'll establish us all, myself included, in the security of what Christ has done for us at Calvary and start to take advantage of what we received from that banquet table when we were first believers. I don't know about you, but I can't help but praise God for all the things that He's done. We've been totally undeserving of it. And He's given us these things freely. And all He wants us to do is to believe them and live as if it's true. I hope that's an encouragement to you.